Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Good morning, folks. Uh, Welcome, everybody. Uh, This is your host, Jose Negron, on voiceamerica.com on the Variety Channel. Hosting the lead technology show, T3, today, tomorrow's technologies. Every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or noon East Coast time. You can also catch us on Monday and Wednesday. So see your local listings. Uh, Go to uh, voiceamerica.com, the variety channel. We're in the morning and in the evening. I always like to thank my audience. Uh, I think I had 16 international co- uh, countries that has have joined us over the past several months. So that is always good to hear. And our U.S. audience continues to grow. I believe the reason why our show is so successful is because we make uh, the discussion on technology, innovation, uh, what's happening today on the new gadgets very informal. So we can talk with the scientists and talk to the non-techies at the same time. To keep our audience involved, i like uh, for everybody to call in at 866-472-5788 or email me at todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Our show today is 15 years later, self-driving cars. 15 years ago, on March 13, 2004, 15 vehicles were selected as the finalists for the 2004 DARPA Grand Challenge for Autonomous Vehicle. What a fascinating adventure kicked off that day. Congratulations. On March 13, 2004, we celebrated our 15th year. I'd like to break down the show into three segments. The first segment, I'm going to talk about the 2004 Grand Challenge. Second segment, I'll break it down to all four, uh, three Grand Challenges, the 04, the 05, and 07. And then finally, we'll talk, where is the autonomous self-driving car industry at? To help me discuss this today, I've invited Mr. Dick Ross to help me review and discuss the 2004 and 5 and 7. Uh, Dick is a former Navy aviator who worked at DARPA and who's been around with the Grand Challenge kickoff. And he's going to talk a little bit about his experience uh, on the self-driving car. So, Dick, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jose. Uh, Pleasure to be here. So let's get started real quick and t- let's talk about 2004. For me, it was a really uh, a, a long time setting up 2004. It, it just didn't materialize. And we we talked about it uh, with, uh, uh, you know, at DARPA trying to formulate when we would start the, the event, how we would start the event, what we would do, and so forth and so on. So what is what was your experience when we first talked about the Grand Challenge? Well, uh, I've... Uh, my first experience with it, I think it was in very early uh, 2004, I'd come aboard uh, representing one of the combatant commands, and uh, you guys were starting to finalize the whole thing. There was a lot of activity going on out west then, uh, which included those of us that were uh, uh, in the director's office helping you there on a few trips, uh, as well as the event itself. 
Right, and uh, you know when we kicked it off, it really was at uh, uh, 2002 when Tony Tether announced it to uh, the DARPA Tech announcement, uh, Grand Challenge Autonomous Vehicle Event in 2004. This was the Los Angeles Las Vegas uh, event. Uh, they didn't allow us to call it a race, but uh, it was an event, and we finally had the uh, competitors uh, a conference uh, a year later in February 22nd. Uh, but just leading up to it, can you? tell me anything that happened were you around in the 2002 time frame no i uh, really i i was uh, i had not really uh, been that closely connected with the uh, the front office there at darpa in 02 i just worked some other programs and um first i knew of it was uh, in early 2004 Okay, well, let me give the audience a little background. Uh, when we announced it at DARPA Tech, we were sitting there at uh, Disneyland. Uh, we were staying at the Marriott there, and from Tony's vision was, uh, hey, I'd like to drive an autonomous vehicle from uh, uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Why did he do that? Well, he the problem was that we were already investing in uh, autonomous or self-driving car the automation, but we weren't going fast enough. And, of course, uh, during that time frame, the UAV, these unmanned aerial vehicles were were taking flight, and they were increasing in both size and uh, miniaturizing uh, the technology. So he thought that he would set up a competition. And at that time, we had a congressional mandate to make the military at least a third of the vehicles uh, autonomous. So that was another inspiration. So we wanted to go capture the technology. We wanted to do a little bit different from just general contracting. So we built the field, and they came, and we just started generating interest and and tried to advance the technology at that time. And so we we develop a, a we built the field where a wide range of participants and t- teams could come uh, from the manufacturers, from the futurists, from the corporation, motorsports, robotics, technology companies, R and D facilities, defense contractors, inventors, you know, even the mo- movie video game producers, off-road champions, science fiction writers, universities uh, participants, and pioneers. So all that led up to the uh, 2003 Competitors Conference. I remember telling Tony uh, Tether at the time that uh, we've got over 400 people uh, signed up for the Competitors Conference, and we did it there in L.A. at the uh, Car Museum. Uh, Mr. Southfish uh, was lucky enough to know the individuals, and we got folks there. And I told Tony we're we're gonna have to order more food. And he goes, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, at that time, uh, before we did the Grand Challenge 2004, he was thinking about 15 folks have a pizza party, uh, you know, have a couple cases of beer, and we would celebrate. He in his wildest dreams or anybody else's dream, we did not know that this would ignite uh, really a generation and generations to come. So the 2003 Competitors Conference uh, kicked off February 22nd. We followed that by uh, the technical papers uh, that were due. 106 teams applied. When you think about 15 and 106 teams that applied, that was quite a challenge. And then, of course, we went to the QID, which is the Qualification Inspection and De- Demonstration. We had 25 teams invited, 15 passed, and went to the 
final at Barstow, and that was uh, we qualified them between March 8th through the 12th, uh, 2004, and of course we ran the Grand Challenge event uh, the March 13th. Only six vehicles went more than a mile, and uh, the furthest we went was 7.3. While I've got uh, being the uh, program manager for the first Grand Challenge 2004, I was uh, I remember Wire magazine lampooning me because uh, it was uh, what was it De- uh, failure in the desert. I remember the article said, and I'm going wow. I remember when I first got the job, no one wanted it. Two, uh, the most uh, the autonomous vehicle had gone is about 20 to 40 yards, you know. And here we are. We had six vehicles to go over a mile, and the furthest uh, 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 sandstorm went was 7.3, where it uh, ran into that berm. But anyway, let's pick up where you uh, started, Dick, in 2004. Where did you start as you uh, began the 2004 Grand Challenge? Okay, well, uh, myself and some of the other uh, support guys there uh, uh, in the director's uh, group, we we went out in, I don't know, February or whatever, but we were there in part of the pre-team and uh, driving some of the big uh, off-road four-wheel drive trucks and uh, going across some of the um, planned terrain for that event and saw the the lash up and basically uh, how it was being set up. And uh, I know my my uh, first impression because I got I got a big Ram truck and drove it and uh, I'm I'm very familiar with off road uh, driving uh, mainly with motorcycles but anyway I thought hmm there's some pretty uh, pretty good off road uh, um, challenges with this thing because we hit some roads where a uh, truck in front of me um, twenty feet in front of me ten feet in front of me uh, it it would uh, hit a dip or make a turn and it'd be gone you couldn't even see it. So that, it was uh, it was interesting. It was it was uh, and it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yes, uh, I remember t- uh, doing a lot of practice. Uh, what people do not realize, we had about fifteen or sixteen. Um, what do you call it? Routes. And I remember spending at least two years out in the desert before we started the 04 event and, and being an Air Force guy flying over um, the ter- territory and, you know, I'm used and being from the East Coast. You know, you're used to green uh, land, let's put it that way, with the bushes, the trees, and the grass. And here I was in the desert for two years. I remember saying, God, I hate the, the looks of it. But at the end of the day, as Southfish said, when we got up at uh, 6.30 in the morning to go out at 7, uh, it was beautiful because the sun was uh, gleaming over the desert. And then in, in the evening as the sun set, it was very beautiful. But we developed about 16, 15 to 16 trails. We probably uh, GPSed about three. Three of uh, three to six uh, of those uh, trails, and a lot of people do not uh, didn't realize that because the whole event was supposed to be a secret. The uh, competitors would not know the route until one hour prior. And as I said, we had uh, we started with about fifteen to sixteen routes. We uh, GPS about six or seven of them, and then we uh, gave them the final route. And in that final route, of course, people had to be qualified. And as I said, we we invited twenty five out of the hundred and six uh, folks that applied. We broke that down to about fifty. And then we chose the final 25 that came to uh, the uh, the Q, uh, QID, which was the qualification inspection demonstration there at the Fontana Speedway. Uh, I'm going to read off some names because uh, it's important to remember who, who these folks are. 
the Red Team, Ebit Cytonics, Team Caltech, Digital Auto Drive, Virginia Tech, Axiom Racing, Team Cajun Bot, Team Ensco, Seminar, Palo Verdes High School was the only high school team that entered. Cytonic won. Terramax, the big 30-ton trucks from Oshkosh. Uh, Terra Hawk, the Golden Group, and, of course, the Blue Team. And, and we can certainly remember the Blue Team because that was the self-propelled uh, motorcycle at that time. Uh, and remember Eric uh, uh, trying to get that bike started. Uh, I remember it fondly because sometimes it would do great and go at least a quarter mile, half mile, but then it eventually uh, run out of speed and it would fall. What folks don't remember about the route stats is that the it was a route of 142 miles it had uh, 2586 waypoints we had 40 crossing we had two railroad crossings we had uh, control passing zones that was another thing that people didn't realize as uh, the bots were getting closer and closer we would allow them to pass in certain areas and made sure it was safe we had eight media locations and of course we had critical tortoise habitat about 33 percent of the route in fact when we did big training sessions and when like i I told dick uh leading up between 2004 from 2002 to 2004 we had four major training sessions i brought out uh, about 30 vehicles out there uh twice and then we had a smaller group between eight to 15 vehicles running various routes and it was beautiful one thing you need to be careful is as your tires heated up and you got close to the berm and you hit a berm most likely you would encounter a flat tire so that was one of the things dick uh as you were uh positioning yourself for the 2004 grand challenge what were some of the key things that you noticed or or marveled about uh, 2004 as folks gathered around to participate in the grand challenge well, uh, even when I went out for the one of the preliminary, uh, it was probably one of the, the, the final prep sessions and checking out some of the route again, make sure it was in good shape. Uh, I was really impressed by the uh, number of different organizations that you and Sal Fish had to coordinate with in order to get approval to run any of those routes. And I mean, you know, the railroad company and the highway patrol, California, Nevada, this, that, the uh, the tree got or the excuse me the uh, the tortoise stuff. Yes. Said, wow. I mean, it was it was it was pretty incredible. All the, the folks that had to be coordinated uh, with to do it. But then when it when it finally came up and it was time for the big uh, race stuff, I was at the uh, at the finish area in the command center, and we had a uh, real time uh, satellite feed and. Uh, map displays, we could see everybody and track everything uh, on a uh, one-second update. And we had great communications back and forth between the start where you were. And anyway, I just thought uh, I was uh, pretty impressed with how the communications and uh, the safety issues, the ability to automatically stop somebody, uh, just the whole the whole uh, situation awareness that was lashed up between satellite and terrestrial so that we could cover all of that uh, 100, 100 plus miles of uh, 200 miles of uh, pretty uh, rugged terrain, but being it was uh, rugged with people all the time. Yeah. Yep, it was rugged. It was uh, it was supposed to replicate Afghanistan at the time and Iraq. 
And uh, like I said, the first Grand Challenge was 142 miles. Uh, safety features on the on the route itself uh, involved the control vehicle. That control vehicle that was modified by Glenn Harris uh, was just uh, uh, it, it was a sight of beauty because it had uh, we we had uh, three major radios and we had some backup radios. I, I think we had a total of five different types of radios in that vehicle so that we would not lose track or communication with the command post where you were. We had GPS tracking. We uh, had the command post as you you said to monitor every every place we would go uh, w- within a second. And then, of course, we had along the route, we had local uh, law enforcement. We had SCORE personnel. We had DARPA security. We had military biologists. We had judges. We had volunteers. And we even had airplanes, airborne support, uh, helicopter, aircraft. We ha- always had three sets of eyes on that challenge vehicle. And, of course, all the vehicles had e-stop systems that were tested uh, rigorously. So we We've, uh, that entire route of 142 miles consisted of road crossings, barriers, master transmitters, media location, monitoring points, railroad crossing, and, um, and of course, the 19 passing points. Uh, I, I cannot say enough of that because uh, uh, the medication plan, of course, we uh, took 20 courses of uh, biologists. We had 29 live uh, tortoises detected, about 232 barrels mapped and flagged throughout that route. Uh, in fact, our first encounter was the uh, Bureau of Land Management, the Fish and Wildlife, the Interior Department. Uh, the Indians had some burial sites, The uh, uh, even the Los Angeles Power and Light. Anyway, Dick, we've got about a minute. Anything else you would like to add? Well, as I had, uh, I think, mentioned before, they're from the uh, command center. Things were really running smooth, but unfortunately, that auto stop had to be used there kind of early because you had uh, the the lead vehicle out, or one of the lead vehicles, Sandstorm, I think, you know, had uh, effectively kind of blocked the road where it got stuck at about seven miles or whatever. Well, a few right. of the guys behind were really tracking well, and they were smooth, and especially Dad, that digital auto drive. Um, he, it was just really going well. And when everybody got stopped, we were quite disappointed when the it was finally things were cleared up and uh, the route was open that that particular vehicle, it, was, it had just it had stopped kind of on a rock, it appeared, and it just didn't have enough uh, smarts in its programming to realize it had to gun it real hard to get over that rock. So right, that kind of right. stopped it. Well, you folks- know, that was kind of a shame. Yeah, it was. Let me summarize. Uh, of course, you're listening to T3, our show, 15 years later, self-driving cars. I'd like to congratulate all the participants. And, of course, we're talking about the DARPA 2004 Grand Challenge of the vehicle uh, autonomous race from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. And my guest today is Mr. Dick Ross, a former aviator and also an uh, individual who worked on the Grand Challenge. And we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. Let's continue the D3 program, 15 years later, self-driving cars. Um, I'm here with Mr. Dick Ross, former Navy aviator and individual who worked on the Grand Challenge 0405 and 07. We're reliving really the past because self-driving autonomous industry has just grown, and I, I can't tell you enough about it. It was something that was uh, not really expected. We built a, a field of dreams. People came out uh, from every walk of life. Uh, we've had uh, quite a few, and we're talking about getting to the desert. But uh, I'd like to mention three of the most influential personalities of the first Grand Challenge. Of course, uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Tony Tether, director of DARPA, who uh, had the courage to start the Grand Challenge. Uh, Mr. Tom Stratt, my assistant program manager, who uh, gave me all the technical knowledge that uh, I just uh, couldn't do without him. And, of course, uh, uh, Mr. Sal Fish, slash, uh, former uh, president of Score International, and his uh, nephew, Paul Fish, because those are four critical names that I'd like for people to remember. Without building that uh, fill of dreams, uh, at Slash X, which will be the Kitty Hawk for the self-driving vehicles, none of this would be possible. Of course, uh, Dr. Tether sweetened the pot because he had a grand prize of a million dollars to the winner who achieved uh, the 142-miles adventure. And I'm sitting here talking to Dick. We're talking about uh, the start point Slash X. Uh, it was quite an exciting day, 13 March uh, uh, 2004. Dick, what do you remember that day? 
about that day? Well, you know, that I was uh, I was at the finish over uh, over towards Prem, and so I, okay. I just knew about where you were, but I hadn't been there. What I do uh-huh. uh, remember well that uh, finally, you know, when we did the tenth uh, uh, Grand Challenge reunion, we gathered there at Slash X. So all the stories I heard from you guys about the start and all that. And of course, we saw some of it on video. I saw the the uh, the autonomous uh, vehicles roll out from the start. You know, we could see it on the on the screen. But uh, it was it was really uh, it put it all together when I went back there ten years later with you and uh, Doctor Tether and all those guys and saw Slash X. It was uh, it was pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, Tony uh, will say, Dr. Tether would say, he was sitting in the audience, uh, he had a three-star general sitting there, and of course, Sandstorm had taken off uh, as the first one, and it was going down the route, and it was it was clipping pretty good, uh, uh, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 miles an hour, and the general says, is there a driver in that car? No. There's no one in that vehicle? Nope. And the general sat back and said, that's amazing. But to me, what was amazing is you're seeing that vehicle come as it was getting ready because we built about a mile to two mile block. I've got to go back and refresh my memory, uh, kind of a square so that uh, if the vehicles uh, did uh, fall apart or could not uh, do the track itself, we could recover them within a two-mile radius of Slash X. But what was amazing to me is sitting there at the first press point, and you see these vehicles coming at 20, 30 miles an hour and immediately take a right turn, uh, go for about 50 yards, and immediately take a left turn, go through two cattle gate as they cross the highway there. And that was, uh, to me, the most impressive sight of all because of the speed, the ability to slow down a little bit, turn to the right, get ready to turn to the left, and then cross two cattle gates uh, and and move on towards uh, Daggett Ridge. And of course, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it. Uh, uh, Dick mentioned that the event was paused. Uh, it was uh, paused because Sandstorm got too close to the berm and rode the berm, and uh, that's where we ended the competition at 7.3 miles. It was uh, disappointing for most of us because, as he said, we had uh, a dad uh, that could possibly cytonic could possibly go further but at that time uh, dr tether made a decision at 7.3 miles uh to uh end the event and uh it was 142 miles we were looking forward to the other participants to go forward but it was as dick said the the terrain can you describe the terrain for uh, the audience there dick how do you uh, would describe it well uh yeah i i, I saw it was it was relatively benign there where you guys started, they are fairly flat. But uh, earlier when I'd been out on some of the routes, as it got uh, closer in uh, to uh, the finish area and all that, I had run that uh, stuff a bit. And that was really, uh, that was good um, four-wheel drive country for sure. I mean, you had uh, fairly narrow roads, you had deep ravines, and you had a lot of switchbacks uh, with a lot of elevation change. So it was uh, pretty challenging stuff. Yeah, I remember uh, one of the pre-trial run of 30 vehicles we ran out there. We had uh, South Fish invite uh, the drivers who had finished in the top three of the Baja 1000, Baja 500, and the Baja uh, 250 to come and uh, run the vehicles just to prove that, one, it was a challenging route. 
two, uh, it was long but durable, and we would get some feedback. What what did we have to do or change and, and improve the, the route itself? And, and number three, uh, I, for me, the goal was I wanted each driver to say, hey, that was a competitive route. That is a tough route, even for us to speed through it, since we're, ch- uh, you know, these are champions from the Baja 250, 500, and 1000. Uh, I was real pleased to a man that says, that's a great route. If the autonomous vehicle, self-driving vehicle could do that route, I would be impressed. And just to do the first two miles, and like I said, we went up to 7.3 miles, was pretty amazing. So let me let me give you some stats. Uh, Team Red, uh, Went to 7.3 miles. That was uh, sand sandstorm. Uh, uh, Cytonic uh, two went 6.75. Team Dad went 6.25. Golden Group went 5.2. Team Caltech 1.3. Terramax 1.2. Cytonic one uh, three quarters of a mile. Uh, Simar uh, went half a mile. Team Ansco uh, that was the little uh, uh, E2 went about a quarter mile. Virginia Tech unfortunately. 50 meters, Axiom, 50 meters, Cajun Bot, 50 meters, Palo Alto's High School, 30 meters, Blue blue Team, the, the uh, uh, really the motorcycle went a meter, and the reason he only went a meter, he forgot to switch on one of the switches for his gyros for it to go f- further, and of course the stress of competition that cost him, and of course Terramax at that time for 2004 uh, did not start. We'll talk about 2005. I think uh, Dick has a story about that, and we'll talk about the story. But uh, as I said, the uh, the first box around Slash X uh, near Barstow, uh, really Slash X to me is the Kitty Hawks. Kitty Hawk is the central point of aviation. Slash X will become the central point for self-driving vehicles. I love that place because it's sitting in the valley. It's an old... Um, uh, stagecoach pony express relay station and it brought three generations you know when we had our uh, opening ceremony we had the horses we had the pickup trucks and then we had these futuristic cars as we started one other thing i'd like to bring up of the 2004 before we uh, move on uh, the t- the grand challenge brought the media out uh, you know we had 332 uh folks attending from the media we had about 181 print 65 million readers uh we uh uh, television stories about 457 we had radio interviews we had tv documentaries and uh, what dick uh uh, one of the things that we pioneered at least from my perspective from uh, uh march 10th through march 17th we had approximately 46 million hits on the internet that was quite impressive for us uh, let me just move on to, uh, you know, I love, uh, I had Ron uh, Arkin, uh, Independent Technical Evaluation Team Lead. Uh, I'm going to quote him because I, I love it because folks come to me and says, why do you hire these folks? And I said, well, if I can convince them that we're doing something right, then that's more power to us. And if I can't convince them, then he'll give me great feedback and we'll improve it. So his quote was, I was very skeptical about whether or not we would find any interesting technologies at all in the team's 
when they showed up, and I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that we could find interesting technology nuggets. That was very refreshing. So here we have a critic who finally tested it, and we, we got the technologies. So let me let me just switch. Uh, in 2004, we had 15 teams go to the final. They would race 142 miles for 10 hours, and the first one that would complete that, of course, would win a million dollars. We had 106 applicants. Uh, we went 25 to the QID, and of course, we went 15 to the uh, to the uh, desert itself near Barstow. As we switch to 205, uh, Dick, would you like to tell your story about uh, um, uh, the big monster green machine? Yeah, well, I'll just kind of uh, give you as best I can remember. Uh, I know in '05 we went out there. We had, uh, you know, the lead uh, Sandstorm was back out there. Uh, another group that had done really well out of Stanford uh, was out there, and we had several. We had three or four, I think, that actually uh, that you know that that was the time that everything was uh, uh, the the full course was was uh, successfully uh, uh, conquered by those uh, teams. But the the, the yeah, the really uh, interesting one is Terramax, that big uh, multi-ton uh, Oshkosh, basically big army supply truck. Just a huge. Yeah, it was one. a thirty-ton military truck. Thirty-ton, 30 right? Well, it had navigated through a lot of the switchbacks and the lower area stuff, and it was it was getting up into the mountain areas that you could just about see from where we were at the start finish. But uh, there were um, remote cameras up there and all that. But the 10 hours was about to run out. And the uh, Terramax, was, it was successfully going through its area, uh, but the time was about it. And while about that time was getting close to dark, and Tony Tether decided that, well, hey, this, this, this vehicle is still going, but for safety purposes, we're, we're going to stop him in place and we're going to let this go until the next day. And so that uh, big vehicle just sat there just to make sure everything stayed online and all that. It had the fuel. So I just sat there and idled all night. Next morning, bright and early, when the sun came out, the race uh, continued. And Terramax came in. If I remember right, it was, uh, came in third, I believe, third or fourth, uh, of those that did successfully finish. And that, that was kind of neat to see the, the last... Uh, a successful vehicle crossed the finish line early the next morning. And that was yeah, a big was, one, too. The, uh, the Terramax 30-ton truck. Uh, what I love about the uh, 2005, uh, we learned a lot of lessons from uh, 2004. First of all, we did a straight line. It covered 142 miles. We picked up uh, almost 3,000 to 4,000 folks uh, there at uh, Fontana Speedway. We bed them down at Barstow, and then we eventually bed them down, all everybody at Prim. We did not go into Las Vegas because of the uh, traffic regulation and some of the obstacles that we were encountering. So uh, Dr. Tether made a decision, let's just stop at uh, Vegas, uh, just down the outskirts of Las Vegas, and that still met our qualifications. In 2005, we had 195 teams from 36 different states, uh, three high schools then participated, and 35 universities. 
the prize at that time was $2 million. And as Dick said, we had five winners. What's amazing, from 2004 to October 2005, we had five winners. Nowhere has technology moved as fast, and that was uh, very impressive. Uh, Stanley won 2005, Sandstorm, and uh, other uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, uh Vehicle were were delayed a little bit, but the one that uh, uh, was interesting was the team from New Orleans. Uh, they had already gone to uh, from a Hurricane Katrina. They uh, packed up. There was a computer company, and they made it. First time out, they made it. And of course, Terramax uh, did not uh, do so well in 04, Came back with a vengeance and finished the challenge as Dick uh, just described. And then finally, we went to the final, 2007. If we we're going to do this for real, we really needed to drive in the city. And uh, this is a 2000 event is a 60 miles of city driving with moving obstacles. And I'm telling you, uh, I was so impressed by that uh, uh, urban challenge to see the vehicles come to a stop uh, for four stop signs uh, corner. And they would each kind of challenge each other, but they would give because they had rules. If you're right of me, you would go first and, and so forth and so on. Or if a vehicle was already at the stop sign, you had a vehicle coming up to it, if you can imagine stopping or slowing down and then stopping, the uh, the, uh, the vehicle would look kind of look left and right, it would take off, and then the next vehicle would come to the stop sign and do the same thing. That, to me, was impressive. Uh, do you remember any of those uh, funny stories there in 05 there, Dick? Any further stories? Oh, uh, 05 or, uh, or 05. the Urban Challenge 05. in 07? 05 or 07, either one. Okay. No, well, no, five, I think you covered it, right? And, you know, I had forgotten it. Yes, the, uh, uh, the, the, the Cajun guys were in that, uh, the top uh, few, with uh, Terramax being the fifth one to successfully complete it. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, it, well, I guess it, for me it was kind of a funny story. There was one of the, uh, uh, our Marine colonels and I were assigned to, to go pick up the, uh, to make sure that any of the, uh, the, the bots, as we called them, the autonomous vehicles that were doing the 05 event, if they broke down within our area, we went out and made sure that the road was clear and this, that, and the other. And uh, that was kind of interesting. It, it was fun. And uh, yeah. we're sitting there. And as I finished, I put together a map. That I called it the dead bot map. Yeah. <clears throat> it just showed how far each of them made it and exactly where he was and all that. And that was uh, that was kind of memorable. But then in 07, uh, as you as you uh, mentioned, it, it was pretty incredible to watch it, uh, watch all of these guys go through. And it, it's basically it's a, a urban area. It's the old Air, Air Force Base that it was held at, and it was going through the residential areas, uh, right, right. as you uh, described all so, the, the different signs. So let me let me I summarize. Kind of neat. I saw sports cars, uh, uh, Lotus Elite, and. Everybody paying attention to the uh, traffic stuff. And there was one fender bender. So we had our first fender bender with autonomous vehicles in an urban challenge. Very small, but uh, I remember that too. All right, folks, uh, we're listening to my guest, Mr. Dick Ross. Our topic today is 15 years later, self-driving cars, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best, and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune into Destination University, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. This is Jose Negron, your host for T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. And I'm discussing the 2004 Grand Challenge, uh, 15th year later, self-driving cars. And we just finished up talking about the 04 a little bit. And, of course, we moved on to the 05 and 07. We were just wrapping up in the 2007 Urban Challenge, 2007. Uh, It was a 60-mile driving in the city. We had three winners there. Or three uh, folks that came in, CMU first, Stanford second, and Virginia Tech third. Uh, And let me just summarize the prizes. In 2004, when we started the DARPA Grand Challenge, we had about a million-dollar prize. In 2005, we had a $2 million prize. And finally, in 2007, we had a $2 million prize for first place, a million-dollar prize for second place, and a $500,000 a prize for third place. This was all made possible uh, by the folks I've mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. Tony Tether, director of DARPA at the time. Uh, Tom Stratt was my assistant in 2004. Uh, Mr. Uh, Sal Fish and, of course, Paul Fish that uh, participated in all three events, making uh, the 2004, 2005, 2007 Grand Challenge a reality. Let me just say some of the lessons that people learned is team competition was critical. Uh, you really had to get 
the uh, I call it the grease monkey, as uh, as Sal would like to say, uh, the uh, automobile mechanic, the computer guys, then the sensor guys, and you had to have them all integrate into a marvelous, uh, the special sauce, as Dr. Tether would say. Uh, the components, the integration of the components uh, couldn't be, uh, uh, you could not wait to experiment with the components, the sensors, and integrate the sensors, computers, and the vehicle. Uh, that had to be. And, of course, testing, more testing, and keep on testing to make a successful team. In fact, the difference between the first Grand Challenge, 04 to 05, was that instead of doing a straight line, 142, we did a circle of about 132 miles. It was easier to pick up the, the vehicles. But the, we had five cross the finish line, and, and that was fantastic, and that has not been done before. And more importantly, we set the conditions early. Uh, we uh, we set the conditions for the teams to say, hey, you need to pass a mini trial. I want you to start the vehicle. I want you to go straight. I want you to go right. I want you to go left. I want you to avoid obstacles during this mini test. And we made sure that the vehicles could do that before they were passed as an entry point or as a competitor in the 2005. And I think that's what uh, made the difference between 2004 and 2005 is the rigor. But, of course, uh, you know, Sandstorm going 7.3 miles and other vehicles going over 5 miles. People believed. In fact, Stanley, who won the uh, 05, uh, Sebastian would say, the reason I think we won is we went out and drove the 2004 route three or four times. And when I knew we could do it uh, consistently, I knew we had a winning vehicle. And the reason they won, uh, Stanley and uh, Sandstorm was out there again. Sandstorm, of course, had some mechanical problems. They just discovered uh, there was something lodged in the mechanical uh, item. Uh, and I just heard that they finally, after so many years, probably 14 years, they finally discovered what was slowing down Sandstorm. So those are the stories I know. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. I'd like to turn to Dick and say, Dick, now that we've finished with the Grand Challenge, uh, at least from a visit, perspective, DARPA continues to do other grand challenges, but let's focus on where is the industry now? Where is the self-driving car industry? Where is the automobile industry? Where do you think we're headed? Yeah, well, it's it's, it's pretty obvious, and I, I, I mentioned to most folks when uh, we see uh, uh, some of these semi-autonomous vehicles running around and start talking about some of the uh, not not just the autonomous vehicles, but some of the automated safety capabilities that have uh, been integrated into some of the higher-end cars nowadays. Uh, you know, I just mentioned, hey, you know, this is a result of uh, the DARPA investment. It accelerated the integration of these millimeter wave technologies, these LIDARs, the radars, the acoustic uh, sensor systems, uh, some artificial intelligence, uh, along with massive um, uh, optical computing and comparison capabilities, it's uh, a lot. This stuff is it's 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 moving quickly, and where it goes, well, I don't have the crystal ball on that. 
But uh, it's come <laughs> I'm along. I'm laughing as you and, mentioned that, Dick, because uh, all those technologies were at the very f- beginning of that rapid technology growth. And today, as you see, self-parking cars, your sensors for attack package that tells you you're going too fast and you're about to ready to to uh, strike the vehicle in front of you, or your uh, lane capability, self-driving lane capability uh, tech packages. So those are all important technologies. Please continue. Yeah, and, and uh, you see it in a lot of high-end cars now. And a uh, matter of fact, I, I know uh, yours, it sits there and it blinks at you when there's a car in your blind spot that does lots of those uh, things uh, right now. So there, we got them, I guess. Right now, there's no such thing, at least according to the uh, Society of Automotive Engineers, no fully autonomous car out there yet, which I think they call a level five autonomy. But we do have Tesla out at uh, level two, and that's made the news. And so is some of the Ubers and the, Go- and the Google cars and, and those. I mean, the stuff's out there, and there are, what, there are four states now that have approved testing on public roads of autonomous vehicles. So it's definitely moving along. It's just a matter of time. Well, there, there will be, I think, there will definitely be autonomous taxis, and that's just uh, that's my prediction. It'll be one of the early ones because it seems well, like a, well, a moneymaker. It's, it's- it's here now. Uh, let me just uh, give you an update, at least from what my research has done. Uh, there are 29 states that allow uh, driverless vehicles. Uh, there are companies. Uh, there's a, a company in France already has a, a auto mom shuttle in a, in a college, and it's uh, driving around. Of course, you've t- uh, heard about uh, the Uber and the Google car and, and so forth. There's another company that does a lot of the, uh, what I call modeling and simulation and testing, uh, ANSYS, and they're they're rapidly increasing as a company. And of course, uh, we've all heard about uh, some of the issues that self-driving cars have, especially in the Tesla or the Uber car were a pedestrian um, uh, there was a pedestrian fatality uh, those things happen in initial testing but overall uh, the technology that is being created is uh, it's being created very quickly and people will recover uh, anyway uh, as we continue where do you think uh, this is all leading to there dick well i uh, I, I i like i you know I, for years i did some automobile racing and uh uh, and motorcycling and all that stuff, and I'm not a real proponent of everything going automatic, but I see us headed in that direction. I think there's a, a place for uh, fully autonomous vehicles, but I don't personally. I I hope it's not the full answer. I hope we still have some uh, autonomy for the human so that he can enjoy driving. Right, and what is, uh, do you see? Some of the still technical challenges out there oh yeah i do as a matter of fact i was just reading uh, one of the one of the research articles there and i, I found it quite interesting you know that uh, that one uh the uber uh, pedestrian fatality um that you know that's the first pedestrian one well the pedestrian was not in the crosswalk well most likely the systems on the uber car were looking in the crosswalk for for, for objects not outside of it so you know we just you can't see everything if it's not programmed into the computer it probably won't look for it and so that that stuff has got to be refined and we've got to uh to um get 
more of a self-thinking capability if we're going to go full autonomous. And another thing I noticed in your research stuff, there have been testing on spotting animals, deers running out, elks, wolves, dogs, whatever, so that the car won't run over them. Well, the article went on to say, yeah, a capability in software that can see a larger animal, like a, a large dog, a horse, a deer, elk, etc. The, the stuff they were testing, it couldn't detect a kangaroo. Well, I guess it's right. the way the motion of the kangaroo that, that uh, fooled it. I'm not sure, but it was interesting. So there's a way to go with that stuff. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, modern self-driving car, you know, that generally uses the Bayesian or simulation location and mapping technology. But even in Google's uh, Waymo, you know, the, that technology is uh, improving in real-time locating systems are, are, are making it better. The LiDAR, the stereo vision, GPS, IMU, the IMU is integrating uh, uh, all the sensor capability. Machine vision is, is really has picked up. Uh, I'm looking at the deep neural nets and the various deep uh, learning activities. And, of course, big data, the automation of understanding big data, which is uh, necessary for the open street maps. Uh, you're having the 2D and 3D features. So these are some of the technologies that are, are being uh, really exposed during the uh, technology development and, of course, continue to grow and advance. As you mentioned, uh, you've got the Google Car, uh, Wimo. You've got the Tesla uh, autopilot uh, uh, folks. You've got Mercedes out there. You've got uh, the, I find it, what I find quite interesting is the car industry, you know, from Toyota, Honda, Kia, uh, the Nissans, uh, and then, of course, the Fords and the Mercedes. All those uh, manufacturers are moving out with uh, self-driving vehicles. Any comments on the manufacturing side of it? Well, I do see uh, that uh, there are, uh, I, I think all the, or most of the competitive automotive companies are pushing ahead very fast. It, it is a, it's a, it's a commercial uh, goal for them to get uh, marketable autonomous vehicles. So the market drives things. I, some will come, uh, whether they become the only kind of uh, vehicles are not is uh, my real uh, concern. What's interesting to me is uh, foreign countries, uh, Netherlands, uh, Singapore, Sweden, United Kingdom, Germany, Canada, United Arab. Uh, I talked a little bit about the, Fran uh, the uh, in France uh, having uh, uh, two buses run around the university and picking up students. And, of course, uh, the various car manufacturers. Uh, I didn't mention Bosch is one, Mercedes another one, uh, General Motors, uh, Delphi. Of course, we all know about Tesla, Ford, Nissan, BMW, and, and, and Waymo. So uh, this is uh, continuing on, uh, the growth of self-driving car, the advantages of self-driving car is to avoid accidents, improve your driving skill. I remember many years ago, the first thing I said is a fully autonomous vehicle should be able to uh, turn on and take you to the grocery store. And all you have to say is take me to Safeway, you know, Super Shopper, uh, you know, Wegmans, uh, uh, 
um, Trader Joe's, wherever you want to go, and the car would go. And that's really fully autonomous, where the vehicle goes itself. I heard one engineer from, uh, I believe it was Nissan, and says, well, the real autonomous vehicle, when you tell it to go to work, it would take you to the beach. I don't know about that. <laughs> that's a little <laughs> disparity. But uh, we'll see. We've got a minute left, for, uh, Dick. Uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, tell me your greatest memory in about 30 seconds. Well, uh, mine, I think, was, uh, it was a dual one. It was the 2004 and the way it was set up and all the folks that did the Grand Challenge. And then in the 05, I just thought it was pretty neat to watch uh, uh, Terramax come lumbering into the finish line on day two of the race uh, as the fifth, uh, fifth successful uh, finisher. So this, that, what was invested in there is, is pushing uh, the technology, and it is rapidly being uh, commercialized. So, I mean, the, I think that the uh, dollars invested in all this have been uh, dollars well spent. Yep, yep. So, uh, folks, as I wrap up and summarize today's show, self-driving uh, vehicles, uh, I'd just like to congratulate 15 years later uh, from 2004, uh, we keep marching on. And uh, words like uh, DARPA, SCORE International, Slash X, Terramax, Sandstorm, all part of the history that made uh, the DARPA Grand Challenge of autonomous vehicle reality. And i just wrap it up with uh, just reading the names. Uh, uh, Sandstorm, Cytonics, uh, Team Dad, the Golden Group, t- Team Caltech, Terramax, Cytonic Quan, Seminar, Team Ensco, Virginia Tech, Axiom Racing, Cajun Bot, Palo Alto uh, High School, Veritas High School, the Blue Team, and of course, Terrahawks. So today you're listening to Jose Negron, host of T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technology, and uh, look forward to discussing another key technology with my audience. I thank you very much, and I thank Alex and Dee uh, for being my executive assistant and my executive producer. If you have any questions, please call the show. Go to uh, voiceamerica.com on the Variety Channels and look up Today, Tomorrow's Technology. Thank you very much for listening. Until next week. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.